as engineers, we refer to blockchains as state machines, which is an abstract model of what a computer is. You kind of date like research papers to a 2017-ish era if they say Visa scale. Teams building on Polkadot on any layer of the stack should know that they're never going to run out of bandwidth. That's one area where I might have a bit of a different view than a lot of people at Parity. Space Monkeys blasting off with Sophia Gold. She's an engineering lead at Parity. Very, very lucky to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us what uh, exactly an engineering lead of Parity does? On the day-to-day? Yeah. Well, we have a number of different engineering teams, even mm-hmm. what you'd consider core teams. We have a number of different teams. So I uh, lead one of them. It's a particularly large team, so I actually co-lead it with two other people. Okay. Essentially, we're the team that's responsible for the Polkadot node. Increasingly, we refer to Polkadot as kind of a tech stack. Yeah. But, you know, if, if when you are what the Polkadot validators run, when you're running uh, a piece of software binary called Polkadot, that's mm. what, what we build. Sounds yeah. pretty core. Yeah, it's yeah. it's as I mean, look, when I'm trying to get like invited to a conference, like a party at a conference or something, yeah. I say I lead the Polkadot core team, nice. like hoping that being a relatively large market cap project that might mean something to people. Yeah. Unfortunately, not doesn't always work. But okay, yeah. we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> so you're working with Rob. Yes. Right. Uh, That's yeah. Rob's team. Yeah. Rob's team. Who else is on the team? Uh, uh, so I co-lead it with Robert Klotzner and Andre Sandu. Mm-hmm. So we um, sort of have two sides of the team. One, I think they used to be two different teams. Yeah. Um, Parachains Engineering that focuses on uh, mainly performance issues, right? Uh, primarily now mm-hmm. they're working on scaling the number of uh, validators that they can support in Parachains Consensus, which yeah. then equates to... Um, the number of parachains or number of cores, and then parachains protocol that is mainly on, on, on protocol features, and so that's roughly the two of them. And then I was brought on about six months ago yeah, now, right. um, mainly to kind of divide up what Rob has been doing alone for like a long time and look out for um, you know product things and communication things. I feel do, like there's things like talk to you right here. Yeah, right, yeah. right. <laughs> I feel like there's been so much progress in the last six or eight months coming out of Rob and his team. I guess this is in part thanks to the extra help that they brought on. I'd like to say so, but I mean, the mm. reality is like these kind of uh, features take much longer to build. So really the things that we're just getting ready to launch now, yeah. you know, long pre-exist me. Okay. Yeah. So what were you doing before you... So I have been working in, as a core developer in crypto for uh, a little over five years now. I don't know if this is like when you're on like a talk show and if you're like promoting a show on another network, you're just supposed to say on another network. <laughs> so I, I was a core developer working on Tezos. Right. Uh, which is, you know, another layer one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mainly known for on-chain governance, right? Uh, and I think that they were the first non-federated proof-of-stake network to go live. This was back in 2018. Right. So I got to, I was there for that. I got to see that. And uh, with the rollout of um, institutional staking on exchanges in 2019, they mm. were at the forefront of, learned a lot doing that. I was looking to kind of take my next step. Actually, it took quite a while to kind of decide on something, but this gotcha. was a really unique role mm-hmm. and on what a project that I find to be really interesting and have followed basically since the white paper. Spent some time this summer. Uh, we've never 
uh, measured the throughput of a parachain before, right? Okay. A naive, often um, kind of uh, metric people that engineers kind of refer to derisively, right? But yeah. is heavily marketed transactions per second. That's right. Um, I thought I saw that in your presentation. Yeah, though you notice I didn't quite drop a number, but um, <laughs> yeah. uh, rel- I said you know rel- a theoretical relative mm-hmm. with uh, with this feature going yeah. live. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I've been trying to actually measure it, right? And right. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got to a point where like I, I know how to do it, and it's just about you know the, the what I'm measuring being stabilized. Mm-hmm. I'm benchmarking Polkadot, right? Hmm. But we have this whole tech stock, mm. and there are all of these, um, you know. There have been all these times where I've questioned, okay, why aren't the blocks filling up? Why aren't I reaching? And it's really all about the execution time. It's about the execution time of the Polkadot validators, right? And we and that because that's how we, you know, that's how we have to constrain resources of the network. Hmm. And you want them to essentially be as close to the the parameter, the timeout, as possible. So how do I explain this to some some the non-technical people I work with? Like you get into a, a you get into a lift. There's like a number of kilograms on the wall, at, right? And it says that this is the amount that it can support. And that's because they've done some kind of like load testing mm. at the factory where, you know, if you like get a little bit, some bigger people or more people, right? That's kind of like transactions, right? You can game it a little bit by maybe having very skinny people or something. You get more, you okay. claim you can fit more, but uh-huh. they, they we're really looking for the maximum it can handle. Mm. Uh, but in, in, in what I was going to say in that, in doing so, I've like, you know, ended up um, essentially finding you know, numerous spots in the rest of our stack outside of Polkadot, right? Which I don't really consider myself measuring here. In mm. Cumulus, the collator software, in Frame that parachains use, uh, mm. um, and all the way down Substrate, essentially. And like, how do what you know? Asking someone like Basti, who's maybe knows the, our tech stack the best up to down. What line do I delete to make this go faster, right? Okay, to get more right. in there. Yeah. Your overarching aim here. Yeah. Are you trying to scale, see how far we can push scaling Polkadot? I, I don't want to quite say that, right? Okay. Um, around the time I entered the industry, right, when people were really starting to focus on scaling as the biggest thing, the biggest area of research across the, the, the whole crypto industry, everyone would use the term visa scale. Yeah, right. right. You kind of date like research papers to like a 2017-ish era, if they say Visa scale, uh-huh. or they make a comparison to Visa. Okay. Back then, everyone thought that Visa could do, I think it was 47,000 transactions per second. But that oh. turned out to be, that was based on peak load on a test network. And my understanding is actually uh. Visa averages out to something like about 2,000. Okay. Which doesn't sound like a lot if you consider the number of people with Visa cards mm-hmm. worldwide making point of sale transactions, right, you know, yeah. in different time zones at any given time. Hmm. Um, but, um, my point with blockchains, especially in you know programmatic money, is that they uh, you know one the usage is probably lower than people are saying, but they also adapt to positively or negatively to their uh, throughput constraints, right? Okay. So you see this in a way with Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? Where um, I think you know seven TPS is maybe fine for Bitcoin, and you see this in the opposite direction with say Solana, right? Mm. Which Solana, my understanding does sometimes have, they at least claim to have like actual usage in like the thousands, but then I think those are largely because of trading bots uh, hmm. doing, you know, uh, kind of unsophisticated forms of algorithmic trading right. on central limit order book DEXs that are, you know, often not uh, supported on lighter weight chains, sort of. Um, so, you know, I'm not here to make an argument of like whether that's positive or negative, but you see them have uh, higher throughput because you can do that because it's cheaper 
to to do that, they're for people who write these bots that do. Right? Okay, right. Hmm. So bring it back around, I suppose, when you're asking, is my goal to scale Polkadot as much as possible? Um, well, one, I'd say my goal is to make sure that we have a plan to, right? Because right. I think that people building on Polkadot, teams building on Polkadot on any layer of the stack should know that they're never going to run out of bandwidth, right? And they're not going to be constrained by uh, building a parachain on Polkadot. I really want people to see parachains as sovereign chains, and we could talk more about what that means. Hmm. So the idea that we have a plan with also keeping in mind that I think that, uh, you know, people might have a greater idea of what they need than in practice. And then also that scaling is a really overloaded term, right? So when I say scaling, I don't always just mean scaling throughput. Okay. Right? Yeah. And I don't mean scaling throughput as meaning only scaling transactions, right? Mm -hmm. I would say the two biggest sources of throughput needs are DeFi trading, which I just mentioned as an example on Solana, for example, and as a real peak phenomenon, which again matters, uh, NFT drops. Right. Ah, okay. So, like, for example, I think that we have a gaming company uh, building uh, on a parachain. Mythical. And yeah, it might be like a thousand TPS or something just for that drop. Yeah. Um, but they also, for whatever reason, need to run an EVM parachain, which it's great. You can do that, right? And mm -hmm. people want to do that uh, for compatibility's sake. I think, though, if you were to optimize a parachain and substrate for NFT drops, mm -hmm then you could do a lot better, right? So that's one case, the, the flexibility, I mean. Uh -huh. And then we could also talk about scaling the number of processes that the network supports, right? Okay. So like number of parachains we support. Mm -hmm. um, so it's important not just to talk about the total network throughput, that matters, the throughput per parachain matters, but also the number of parachains. So this is the yeah. number of like, parallel operations we can do. Is that what you're speaking about? Um, I wouldn't quite put it that way. How would you put it? If you're using like a metaphor that Polkadot is a distributed computer, which we tend to do in the way that we name certain things. Right, right. right. Technically speaking, it's the num you know, we refer to, as engineers, we refer to blockchains as state machines, which is an abstract model of what a computer is. Mm -hmm. And state machine is defined by a state transition function, and it's the number of those functions that you can support. Right now, with the, also the idea, and Gav was recently talking about this, that those might uh, apply to things that are not blockchains specifically. Right? Yeah. Um, that's one area where I might have a bit of a different view of than a lot of people at Parity. Right? Yeah. Um, than Sean, for example. Right? Um, in that, you know, I think largely the networks we're building are meant to run blockchains, uh -huh. not. Not to, uh, you know, say smart contracts, for example, with other types of storage backends. Sure, sure. And blockchains are really designed to solve the double spend problem. Right. Which means to me that they are really meant for largely financial use cases. Huh. Not entirely. There are some exceptions. Identity is a really notable one that they're good for, right? Yeah. Um, but largely financial use cases. And I think that, mm. you know, someone like Sean, I heard him saying this summer uh, at, at PBA we both went to, um, that, you know, uh, crypto is only used for De DeFi or blockchains are only used for DeFi and we need to have use cases beyond that. Mm -hmm. I think DeFi is pretty great, to sure. be honest. And yeah. more importantly, I think that I weight the importance of finance in the world more than some people might. Right? Okay, yeah. So people ask, oh, we're waiting for the killer use case for crypto. I think it's always been there. Mm -hmm. It is censorship-resistant money. I believe in economic freedom. Yeah. You spoke specifically about DeFi, but I guess it applies to 
all markets, right? We mentioned mythical before, and mm -hmm. there are markets in games, right? Yeah, I still consider that finance, right? right? And what about yeah. like um, Energy Web, for instance, right? There's like a whole energy market there as yeah. well. So you would wrap that all into DeFi. Well, I mean, when we say DeFi, typically we mean uh, like, you know, automated market making contracts, for example, uh, mm. things that are, you know, programmatic, mm. decentralized because they're in, they're autonomous and programmatic, right? Um, so I don't just mean DeFi in that sense. Yeah. But yes, I'm including things like uh, NFTs representing like game artifacts as finance, mm. especially in terms of, you know, finding Polkadot's place. Right in comparison to other other protocols, other networks, other systems, hmm. there's basically a class of systems now that kind of dominate work on heterogeneous scaling. Right, hmm. uh, include zk rollups, optim optimistic rollups, um, parachains, which are very rollup-like at the very least. Yeah, and these are two-phase systems. Right, they have one step where they order state transitions and they publish the data, mm -hmm. and then they only later check the correctness. Right, mm -hmm. um, and what I was saying, I usually when I make the comparison of Polkadot to these other systems, I am comparing uh, the second stage approval checking. Right, because the fact that we bake uh, the this first phase into the staking economics and the L1 validator set yeah. gives us two things, right? Uh, capital efficiency. There's about roughly currently 10 million US dollars worth of DOT attached to every parachain block that is included in the relay chain, okay. uh, which means that 100% of that would be slashed if any of those were later found out to be invalid, right? Invalid okay. state transition. Then from the, from the side of a parachain, right, who is paying for an auction slot, I think there's a lot of FUD about the price of the auction slots, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they roughly, I think, auction slots are going for about a million dollars now, which means uh, they're looking at about $100,000 a year in opportunity cost, right? This is all to say that the uh, validators that are locking this $10 million have many sources of revenue hmm. from the work that they're doing right. with that stake. It is cheaper for the parachains to outsource this work, mm -hmm. right? And at the same time, also, the, there are more sources of revenue for the Polkadot validators, right? So that's yeah, what yeah. I mean by capital efficiency. Mm -hmm. I think that's less of a popular thing to talk about, especially because, well, if you look at the alternative of spinning up your own validator set and deflating your token, yeah. that tends to be pretty popular because people like what we call the money illusion, right? Hard money people in crypto are kind of having a... Um, uh, you know, stopped clock moment right now, right? Mm. In the macroeconomic setting. But I, what it kind of upsets me is that I think that the way that they talk about inflation is as if uh, the inflation is defined by the increase in the money supply. Yeah. We actually define inflation by a decrease in purchasing power, okay, right? Okay. We can't measure the purchasing power of crypto because the reality is these are, you know, probably uh, digital native assets are closest to commodities and they don't really function quite like a currency in terms of their stability and we're not like pricing baskets baskets of goods in them right right, right. Okay. but you know if we could you would see that well Polkadot validators really aren't quite they're not like earning 10% they're only earning what they're not being diluted in right yeah, right um, but people like that sense that it's yield that's very psychologically popular of course right? yeah the second part of it right that yeah. i think is i more want to talk about the censorship resistance yes so and this applies also, I'm going to say, both on the backing and the approval checking side. And what mm -hmm. I was saying on the side of backing is that, um, you know, the backers are assigned randomly, right? So from a 
I'm not a lawyer, right? But if the, I, I think from any kind of like legal regulatory argument, they have no, uh, they're not endorsing the contents of parachain blocks, right? Mm-hmm. And they're, they're kind of disinterested in them. They're really just providing a utility. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that, they're in backing groups so that, you know, one couldn't affect liveness for even one block. And then they're rotated every block, right? So they're randomly assigned, randomly rotated every block. Mm-hmm. And uh, all this ensures that they're not censoring from a liveness perspective, um, you know, parachains that are assigned to them, right? Mm-hmm. Polkadot, we're sorting uh, essentially, um, currently it's 30, Web3 research says maybe it should be 40. Um, committees of that size out of the Polkadot validator set okay. assigned to check each parachain block, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you're trying to select 30, 30 uh, random parties, right, without replacing them out of 300 or 500 or 1,000, right, as okay. we try to scale the validator set, mm-hmm. um, it turns out that you're not going to get a statistically representative set of them, right? Okay. So you can't make that 67% assumption inside this group of 30. Oh. And it turns out that it's actually, you know, not, it's not mathematically improbable that they're all the, the malicious guys, the faulty sure. guys that, okay. you, that you picked out. Understood. Instead, what we do is we, uh, you know, so first of all, it would be because backers are slashed 100%, they, we, you know, use a property called gambler's rune that they wouldn't be able to, they only have essentially one shot or one shot per every $10 million that they have to guess when, you know, they're all going to be malicious, right, out of that. And then if just oh. one of them is honest, so we're bringing this is that instead of relying on any kind of honest majority assumption like we would in L1 in this uh, what we call tranche zero, the first 30 that are selected that mm. are needed to to approve this block, we're relying on one honest one, and then the one honest one can raise it to the entire validator set. And we okay. have something then that's called a dispute, which has to be just a threat, right? Because mm-hmm. um, it, it's not something that we'd expect to happen in production. So uh, if, a- if any raises a loan, then, every, then everyone, everyone. Va- everyone checks it, and then you do have ah, the honest majority assumption, ah. right? So the question is, what do you get from doing it the way that we do it that takes all this work, right? And what, I think that we're not great at communicating that. What is it? I'm going to say that censorship resistance, in my mind, That's I think, it. is a big thing. In, at the backing layer, you get that. You get that this way at the approval checking layer. Um, let me give you an example. So Coinbase base, right? Yeah, yeah. Base has... A centralized sequencer, mm-hmm. because it's built on OpStack, it has no fraud proofs. So when I said mm. uh, sometimes there's a closed set who can submit it, it actually takes some uh, it can submit a fraud proof. It actually takes some engineering work mm. to make that an open set, which Arbitrum I think has going through governance now. And sometimes it's no one. OpStack, you know, Optimism will get there and have fraud proofs, right? Oh. But mm. it's you know not a priority of theirs mm. versus UX, mm-hmm. which is again cultural, a different choice. Yeah. When they do, I don't think they'll have an open proposer set uh, or, or an open verifier set to, to submit them. And then how are they incentivized to to submit them, right? This is called the verifier's dilemma. Hmm. And is there a path to sequencer decentralization? Will that be, you know, how is that going to work? The end game for Ethereum is all uh, roll-up bridges, right? That's going to be the, the main application. And all scaling will be through roll-ups, through mm-hmm. L2s. Mm-hmm. In practice, uh, there is... Um, kind of a shelling point of, of, of your decentralization amongst modern proof-of-stake networks that a large number of people in the industry care about. And, you know, as a uh, practical test of that, I think the greatest one has been the OFAC sanctions against Tornado Cash and how mm. that's, you know, poisoned the ETH, right, that, that touches it. And yet, 
operations to that contract mm. continue to be included in Ethereum blocks, right? Right. You know, despite there being, I don't know how many, what percentage of validators based in the United States, and it doesn't really mm. matter based in the United States, based anywhere where the U.S. government has, you know, its reach, right? Yeah. It's almost everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they continue to be included, right? right. And, and that's the most extreme. Uh, Treasury Department sanctions, kind of really the only area where we've seen uh, the greatest force of financial censorship in sure. the world, in human history, the United States government being wow. willing to uh, meddle in on-chain uh, events, and yet it continues to run. Right? So are you saying so if that was deployed on an L2, it would be you could just censor it? The only it's, reason it's, it's being included it, is because it's on the core. I'm saying it's L1. unimaginable for me to me for it to be included on an L2. Right, it wouldn't. Right. Whereas, uh, you know, Tornado Cash Parachain, I mean, hmm. first you do need liquidity, right? So that's the Elizabeth Warren thing of, are the oligarchs, could they be Russian oligarchs laundering billions of dollars uh, hmm. through like a mix net? Well, no, it doesn't have, you know, the you have slip, you'd be splitting this up. And she's like, well, why can't they just split it up and do one transaction every day for 30 days while there's slippage and they'd be taking up all the liquidity on it. But, um, you know, from a purely operational standpoint, uh, parachains have open proposer sets, mm -hmm. right? We have decentral, we shipped decentralized sequencers almost two years ago. Um, mm -hmm. They have, anyone can propose a parachain, a block for a given parachain. Um, the cool. backers, right, I already said, are essentially disinterested as to the content of it mm -hmm. um, and randomly assigned and assigned redundantly and rotated. Yeah. And, um, you know, the approval checkers, I think the comparison here with something like BASE is that, um, you know, I mean, it's easy to imagine when I said Coinbase on their centralized exchange is freezing accounts. Um, it's easy to imagine them wanting to do the same thing through the sequencer, right? But if something were to already occur on base, would they reorg the chain post hoc, right? Hmm. Um, hmm. To uh, to just to you know re revert whatever the offending uh, transaction was. I, I mean, I think it would take something rather rather serious for yeah. them to take their that kind of PR hit to do that. But I guess it's but the, the fact is, that they, they, they can. They, they can. They, they can do that right. you know, with no question. Yeah. Anyone running on OpStack uh, can do that. And um, doesn't work that way in a parachain. The one thing you keep coming back to in this conversation has been censorship resistance. What happened in your life that made you so passionate about resisting, well, centralized <laughs> force? I don't know if I could say there's something in particular, right? Um, but what we have seen, I mean, if you look at the age I'm at, right, it is corresponded with, um, you know, commerce really moving onto the internet, right? Mm. So, and there's been great benefit of that. But that's yeah. what has effectively made this possible, mm -hmm. right? Um, it used to be, say, maybe I'm aging myself, but like, you know, 15 years ago, right? Um, if you were running a web-based business, you were uniquely at risk in the ability uh, of, you know, credit card processors or people, and it's quite easy for, again, the U.S. government to call up uh, credit card processors and essentially have you cut out of uh, the global payments network, and then sure. you, your online business is is, is done, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's essentially everyone now. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Operation Choke Point, 
right? Lack of access to banking services, mm-hmm. um, credit card processing, mm. uh, PayPal and other kind of neobanks, um, actual banks freezing accounts, right? Yeah. People who are unbanked, people I know in other nations, right? Uh, uh, you had Web3 philosopher on here from Nigeria, right? Yeah. They have, you know, d- d- some more problems obviously there. And, yeah. you know, well, it's like even where I'm from, uh, Canada, we had this yeah. trucker's convoy. The, yes, right, right. right. Um, and so I, I guess, you know, also I would hope that this is a concern that could cut across uh, you know, the, the political binary, right? right? It's not great to be on the side of the government and banks closing people's accounts and yeah. deciding who they can transact with just because they might be on a different, you know, I, I don't really support the truckers. Right, but it's a bad, it's a bad precedent. Right, and you know there's movement. When you're on the wrong side. Yeah, and if you look at actually, the censorship tends to occur at the behest of the U.S. government through uh, sort of griefing um, uh, these companies with uh, regulatory burden. Yeah, right. I'm not so confident that. legislation or legal precedent is going to fix this problem. Yeah. Um, but I think that um, having an alternative, even if it doesn't have to be the thing that everyone is using, yep. that matters. And that, that has you know mattered to real people for some time. So do you think Polkadot is the tech stack to get us there? Yes. I think that I said this to, to, to Robert, right, um, that he was like, well, then all you need is Bitcoin. But no, no, right? You right. need you need programmatic money. Mm-hmm. So Bitcoin's not fully programmatic, mm. and you do need it to scale, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's clear, uh, and this is not an unpopular thing for me to say now, that the future of scaling, um, both in terms of transactions and in terms of uh, unique processes, venues, application-specific chains, is this heterogeneous scaling, right? Mm. God, I had to uh, I had to wire. The person money that I'm renting from, and uh, it fucking sucks. Like right. still, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So totally. maybe like you don't have to be like a you know a dissonant or uh, or, or, or someone who's otherwise targeted to um, you know to, to feel how there's there's friction in, in money. You just have to be someone who's tried to to wire it across a border. Yeah, life is still inconvenient um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I, mean, I think that's reflected in what we build. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Sophia, I, th- I think I understand why multiple people at Parity encouraged me to get you on this show, why students at the PBA were so excited about the lessons that you were teaching them. It's really, Thank you. really awesome to have you on the show. Now, I don't want to take this on too much longer. I don't want to ruin the vibes of, of this party here, but what do you think about the vibes in Polkadot right now? And what would you do to change this? Um... Well, God, um, I guess you could always cut if I say something bad. Yeah, that's what I say. Just speak from the heart, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll fix it in post. How would you describe the vibes? At its worst, I think, hmm. you know, we can seem both corporate and, <laughs> like, we're socialists, right? <laughs> okay. So that's kind of a bad combination. Okay. You don't really get any, any benefit there. Hmm. Um, and... Uh, you know, I, I, but purely like in terms of, of the vibes, I don't think that's really reflected in the community or reflected in the technology at all. Hmm. Um, and that's why, like, you know, when I say something about like censorship resistance, right? That I think that's something everyone can get behind. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. That's a vibe, right? And that's hmm. something that we see pop up as a concern again and again in the industry, but is not necessarily like a thread 
running through uh, most communities. I'd like to see things more on a guerrilla level, I suppose. Uh, um, cool. You know, there's always a problem, and this isn't new to me, right, in this community of um, great funding, right, and how that... Um, you, you try earnestly to do things with all that money and that can also have sort of negative effects on the community and give you a negative image in terms mm. of, um, uh, like, you know, we spend a lot of on marketing, right? And everyone is trying really hard. Um, maybe that, you know, if you look at, you know, the Ethereum Foundation doesn't have a marketing department, I think. Yeah. They have a comms guy, I know, but, like, um, mm. you know, Bitcoin doesn't have anything like that, right? And they yeah. clearly have a vibe that, you know, they're kind of, um, you know, freedom-loving idiots. So, um, I don't know. I would like to see a little bit more of that kind of uh, guerrilla-level vibe. I think that's right. right. Scalable censorship resistance. That's a banner we could get behind. You don't even need marketing for that. That's just something that feels true. There's really not, like, like, technically, what would your other example be of scalable censorship resistance? Great talking to you, Sophia. That was awesome. Likewise, and thanks so much for having me.